morning and uh, happy new year to all of you. Um, it's some humor in the Holy Spirit having my uh, chest and throat and everything in the condition it's in today. Um, I, I want to begin by saying, hi, I'm Alan and I'm not one of the pastors here. <laughs> For those of you here every week, you'll get the drift of that. I'm, I'm very thankful though to be here and for this opportunity to open God's Word this morning. Um, For those of you who've been wondering, why living in Birmingham, Alabama, do I own all these wool clothes, and when do I ever get to wear them? Now God is giving you the excuse you need in this weather. Um, I'm going to give a few, not reminisce, but I want to give a few facts I think you'll be interested in, and then I want to get to the text and the message. A year ago today... Uh, Sally and I arrived in Jerusalem. About this time, they're eight hours ahead, it was about 6.30 in the evening, a marvelous trip that uh, I should not digress about, but I, we were there because of you and your generosity. And uh, if you ever want to hear about uh, that trip, just let me know, I'll talk your ear off, but we're really appreciative of that. It was the beginning of a year of travel, um, Israel, Greece, Uh, The Netherlands, Crete, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, all but one week ministry-related in one way or another. Uh, Ending today, I preached 26 times this year, most of them, many of them overseas. Um, But we've, uh, and and we've been to the West Coast twice to see our kids. I've been gone 42% of the time, 22 weeks. Sally actually went back to Greece uh, without me, uh, to prepare for this uh, mission trip that's mentioned in the bulletin, the next to the last thing. The global outreach team uh, is pleased to announce a trip to Greece, May 3 to 13. If you want more information about that, talk to Sally. There's an informational meeting next Sunday after the uh, second service. Uh, in the providence of God, I will be there in Greece at that time. I'll be teaching an apologetics course at the Greek Bible College. Um, some of you will want to know the, uh, some things about, well, how are you doing? And, and the answer to that kind of goes in two directions. Uh, I have not waked up one morning thinking I made a mistake to retire when I did. Uh, I have not waked up one Sunday morning uh, wishing that I was pastor here. Uh, but I have not fully adjusted to retirement and to what the future will be or should be. Uh, I believed back then that the Holy Spirit was leading me uh, to retire. I think it was one of the most clear instances of directional guidance from the Spirit of the living God that I've ever had in my life, so I've not second-guessed that, and yet I've not settled into the future. I also want to say that I'm thrilled by what I see happening at Faith Presbyterian Church. I'm so glad there's so many of you here that I don't know, and if you understand what I mean by that that God continues to bless Faith Church with growth in quantity and quality, and I'm excited by that. I'm excited by what I see Jason doing and, and Martin and Carl and Steve and Patrick. Uh, if if uh, we had cheerleaders for people uh, in, in churches of, of our stripe, I would be Jason Sterling's chief cheerleader. Uh, I know that we're one way to define the church is the, the cheerleaders and fan club of Jesus Christ. I know that, and so don't charge me with some sort of heresy. Um, but I really am thrilled by what's happening here and uh, very, very excited um, about it. Um, 
just one little story. Last year, I got to preach in Athens for a refugee church of Iranians. And my brother-in-law, who's been head of the MTW Permanent Committee, said it's the most exciting work he knows about anywhere in the world. They've had 100 adult converts a year for the last four years. That's amazing. And I got to preach for them. I was translated into Farsi. I mean, what's the chances a boy from southwest Mississippi would get translated into Farsi? I mean, you know, it's just amazing. Um, Well, let's press on. Uh, The idea for this message came from an article, a short article by J.I. Packer entitled, Taking the Lord's Supper Seriously. I have uh, somewhat altered, amended, and added to what Dr. Packer did in his wonderful article, but I want to give him the credit for the idea. Why should we take the Lord's Supper seriously? Because we take the Lord's, Lord himself seriously. Because we take his words seriously. Because we take his ways seriously. Because we take his church seriously. And so we are to take the Lord's Supper seriously. And today I want to speak on where to look when we're taking the Lord's Supper or during the Lord's Supper. And what we find out is if we look in the right directions, we become what the Scriptures call worthy partakers. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would make the Spirit, uh, let the Spirit that inspired these words come among us now. And as I read and speak and others listen, that you would anoint uh, that, that you would change lives, you would change conduct, you would change hearts that we would see you in a fresh and new way and what you want. And Lord Jesus, that you would get the glory. May you increase, may I decrease. And uh, use a crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 17, a very familiar passage. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. 
so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will, have, I will give directions when I come. Amen. The grasses wither, the flowers will fade, but this is God's word. It won't fade. It will abide forever and forever. You might say that Christmas has three phases. There's the anticipation and preparation phase that goes through beforehand, beginning about July the 1st now, you know, not now I'm kidding, but beginning of Thanksgiving or before we begin to think about and prepare uh, for Christmas. And then there's the actual uh, observance of Christmas, you know, family, gifts, worship, uh, food, things like that. And then afterwards, um, well, how did it go? How can we do better next time? What should we include? What should we omit? Uh, these three phases, you know. Uh, some of you are thinking, you know, you know, Christmas only has one phase, the weary phase, the weary, weary, weary. Uh, but not exactly, right? Because we do think about it beforehand, we do observe it, and we do reflect on it. I think the Lord's Supper can be thought about that way as well. Uh, I anticipate and prepare, and then I come to a service like this, and I actually uh, uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. And then perhaps afterwards I think about, well, how did it go that morning? What did we do? Well, I want to focus primarily in this message on what we do in a worship service itself uh, when we're actually partaking, the middle of the three phases I mentioned. What we do beforehand in preparation and what we do afterwards in reflection are very important, but those are not my focus this morning. And so, what should we do on a Sunday morning or any other occasion when the Lord's Supper is served? And I want to look at this text in places from time to time using a theological order and not the order that the text comes, because the text addressed a particular problem in that church that we'll get to in my last point, okay? So, where do you look? Where do you look? Well, first, I think we need to look at ourselves in self-examination. That's why we have a time in the worship service where Martin or other uh, worship leader will read a text that calls us to confession. So we will examine ourselves in the light of God's word. Verse 28 here says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The instruction is not for you to examine your neighbor or your spouse or your friend, but the, the instruction is to examine yourself. So, what do you see when you examine yourself? Well, let me tell you a story. So, a few weeks ago, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, and I'm uh, kind of talking and playing with my youngest grandchild, a girl named Nora, and she's pulling books off of the, uh, off of the thing and bringing, to me, bringing them to me, and she brings one, and, and she opens it up, and she said, now read that. And it was a book of Mother Goose nursery rhymes. And you know how five-year-olds are. I mean, you know, you, you don't stop till you read them all, and then you read them again. And so I came across this one. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I? And I thought, well, you know, little Jack needs a little theological instruction here. <laughs> For crying out loud, Jack is a sinner. I mean, that great theologian Karl Potts one time said, there are no good boys. There are no good boys. 
And little Miss Muffet, who sat on her tuffet, is not a little girl either. Not a good girl either. Nor is the old woman who lived in a shoe. So we look at the outside. We look at the things we've done. We look at our record, and we're startlingly alarmed. Someone asked me, what sins are you struggling with now? And I'd say, well, you know, sins that I know I'm struggling with or sins I'm actually struggling with. Read the Ten Commandments. I struggle with all of them, don't you? Look at, the, look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you have heard it said you should not murder, but I say if you hate. You've, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you if you lust. Wow. Look at the Ten Commandments and look at your life. Jesus' interpretation of them does not leave us any room to squirm. Look at the good things you left undone. We read this text, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning. Have you done that? The only person that would say I've done that is the person that's deluded. Nobody's done that. Have you loved your neighbors yourself? Listen to the words you've spoken at home, at work, at school, while you're driving. Reflect on your actions and your inactions, your treatment of others, especially the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine your heart. Examine your motives. Examine your attitudes towards your obedience. Do you take partial obedience as complete obedience? Do you take sticking in your thumb and pulling out a plum to mean, yes, I'm a good boy. I did one thing, one time, one instance that was right, and so I'm just a good person. Examine your attitude toward your disobedience. Boys will be boys. I'm only human. Yes, but the truth is I'm a rebel against God and against his love and against his grace. Examine your attitude toward the success of others. Do we rejoice with others when they succeed? Look at how you've sinned against God, your holy creator, against God's grace. Your Redeemer, the one who sacrificed his son for you and sent his spirit to live within you. Look how you've sinned against Christ's church. Look how you've sinned repeatedly. Look how you've sinned terribly. We're broken people in a broken world. And honest self-examination will reveal that. And it will reveal our enormous need for Jesus. I confess that at least once since Thanksgiving, I've said, I can't eat another bite. I've got to go ride the exercise bike. I've got to go take a walk. I've got to take a hike. I've got to do something. I'll never be able to eat again. Well, self-examination is the spiritual exercise that creates hunger in you and me for Jesus Christ. And so that's why it says, let a man examine himself. Now, you look at yourself, but you've got to be careful here. Not too long. Not too long. I want to read a couple of sentences from a little book about anger that I'm reading, a small book about a big problem, Meditations on Anger, Patience, and Peace. Sally will tell you I have not arrived in those categories. Through it all, you walk a fine line. You want to be undone by the wrongness of your sin, and you want to rest in God's forgiveness. You want to confess murder and adultery and arrogant judgment and pride 
and you want to know that your very confession is the work of God's Spirit in you and a consequence of his love. It is confession with a bit of a smile. Your confession is another way of saying, I need Jesus. And that's why we begin theologically with thinking, well, I need to examine myself, which is what the text says. The Scots theologian Donald MacLeod says, there's really only one requirement for coming to eat at the Lord's table, and that's hunger for Jesus Christ. And self-examination creates that hunger. Secondly, you want to look back at Jesus. You want to look back to his humble coming at Christmas time. You want to look at his covenant commitment, maybe even before he came, where he covenanted with his Father in all eternity past to come and redeem a people for himself. You want to look back at his life, which was sinless. And joy of joys, as Martin said, it was also substitutionary. He lived a perfect life so that his record could become the record of his people. You want to look back at his death, Good Friday. The elements themselves remind you of his brokenness on that Good Friday and how he died a death that was undeserved, the ultimate injustice. But a death that was willing, that was voluntary, a death that was also can be called substitutionary. He paid the penalty for my sins and all the sins of all his people. You want to look back at his resurrection. You want to look back at Easter Sunday where he really and bodily came out of the grave. A victorious resurrection, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the devil. He came to destroy him who had the power of death, the devil. And a death that was promissory, that he is just the first fruits of them that are asleep. Some of you buried loved ones who were believers this year. How do you know they'll come to life again? Because Jesus did. It's a promissory resurrection. Real and bodily, yes. You look back also at his ascension, which was glorious and royal. He's now enthroned. And you realize his promise, his covenant promises have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, will be fulfilled. You look back in thankful remembrance, and some of you have this Christmas looked back at things in your past, and your hearts have welled up to fullness, and perhaps your eyes have welled up with tears as you've remembered with thankfulness things that have happened to you in the past. And it's to do that, we look back at Jesus. We first look at ourselves. Secondly, we look back at Jesus. Thirdly, we look up at Jesus. This is the new covenant in my blood, said Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17, the cup of blessing that we bless, this is not a fellowshipping or participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, it is, not, is it not a fellowshipping or participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we are many are one body, but we all partake of this one loaf. What do we see by faith when we look up? What do we see? Well, we see Jesus. And we hear him speaking, come unto me, come unto me, you sinner, come unto me, the person that's burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Martin said wisely, I think, that 
we'll blow it in 2018 it's like we did in 2017 he didn't say it that way he said it much smoother but that's what he meant and you see this savior like this maybe the bread's in one hand the wine's in the other and he's saying come come repeat offender come terrible offender come 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 i want you come back come Come this Sunday, like you did last Sunday. See, we have trouble with that because we're not as forgiving as he is. Here is all for forgiveness, for repeat, terrible sinners. Believe the gospel again. Rest in him. I'm justified. I'm adopted into his family. I'm written into his will. I'm united to Christ. We've sung about that today. And a love that cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Dr. Packer says in his little article, Jesus is the true minister each time the supper is celebrated. We should think of the bread and wine as coming to us from his hand and as his guarantee to us that in love, he will continue to nourish us spiritually forever. We look up to Jesus. We look up to an exalted Savior who's in a resurrected body, who's finished his work, who's seated on his throne, who's actively working to call his children to himself. And we're led to worship, thankful worship. So we look at ourselves, we look back, we look up, we look forward. We look forward to Jesus' return in expectation and hope we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. First, we believe that he will come back and fully and finally and completely fulfill all his promises. I strongly considered, uh, I was given some freedom on what to preach on today. I strongly considered preaching on the return of Jesus Christ, and here's why. Because for most of us in evangelical churches, it has no operative impact on how we live our lives at all. When's the last time you thought about the fact Jesus is coming back? When's the last time you thought Jesus could come back today? And the fact that he's coming back and might come today ought to impact how I live my life in the present tense world. You see, it's not an operative doctrine for most of us in the, in the church, evangelical church today. But he is coming back. He's coming back visibly. I could give you all the text on this, and if you want them, come to me later. He's coming back bodily. He's coming back unexpectedly at a day and hour that we just do not know. He's coming back gloriously. In other words, someday the clouds are going to part and this little baby that was born and placed in what Jason called last week a dog bowl is not coming in a dog bowl. He's going to come back in a big stretch limo. Well, sort of. Better than that. Okay? Yeah, he came humbly once, but he's not coming humbly next time. And you need to be on the right side of him when he comes. Yeah, you look forward, he's coming. What is he coming for? He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to gather his people to himself, to bless them, to protect them, to provide for them, to feed them. Feed them. He's coming to dry their tears and to make all things new and much, much more. Do you desire his return? Are you working for his return? You long for his return. Nothing better could happen than that Jesus would come back this afternoon. 
say, but my plans. <laughs> no, his plans, his plans. So I said, look, we look at ourselves, look back at Jesus, look up at Jesus, look forward to Jesus. What's the last, where do we look? This is my last point. You're wondering how many points does he have today? For crying out loud, you know? Look around. Look around. Look around. Look around. What do you see? Look around. You see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see people for whom Christ died. What was the problem at Corinth? The problem in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 and following. Well, there were people that professed all the right things. They could probably recite the creeds we recite. But they weren't practicing what the creed or what the profession would lead them to do. Their conduct, he says in verses 20 to 22, denies their profession. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They would have said, well, we are doing the Lord's Supper. And Paul said, no, you're not. Mm, What's happening here? It's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. You're despising the church of God. You're humiliating those who have nothing. How does he correct all of that? What was their problem? They thought Christianity was just a Jesus and me thing. And it is a Jesus and me thing, but it's also a Jesus and us thing. It has a vertical dimension. It has a horizontal dimension. They were right on the vertical, wrong on the horizontal. So I'm telling you, fifthly, look around. What do you see? Well, sometimes you see people you don't like at all. Sometimes you see people, I once said in this sermon, who does God, from this pulpit, I said, who does God say? And I said, jerks. If you don't believe me, just look around. And the congregation was very quiet for a minute, and everybody started chuckling, you know, because there's some people out there you wouldn't have saved. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And there's some people out there looking at you thinking you're a jerk too. So how do we handle this? Well, we think, huh, why did Jesus save me? Is it because I'm good? Nope. Because I'm better than others? Nope. You see, what we've got to do is let the gospel we profess inform and impact our conduct. And when we do, we realize that sinners are the only people that have a place at the table. That the nobodies, according to 1 Corinthians 1, the nobodies have as much place and right at the table as anyone. When we realize that money and education and social standing make no difference at all in the kingdom of God. Jason was preaching about that last week so well. They have nothing to do with standing in the kingdom of God. So how do you apply that, Alan? Well, let me confess some of my own sins along the way. When you come to worship, who do you gravitate toward? The clean or the dirty? The good or the bad? Who is it that you come wanting to talk to? With whom do you want to sit? With whom do you want to come in one of these little groups and take the Lord's Supper? From which elder do you want to take the supper from? I was sitting back there. We'd been on a trip. And um, we'd been gone for I don't know how long. And we first time back at Faith. And I was sitting in a certain group. And I knew where my Lord's Supper group would come. And 
when everything started happening at that time, I realized Martin Wagner would be serving the Lord's Supper to me. And I love Martin. And I thought, oh, great. I get to take the Lord's Supper from the hand of Martin. And some of you say, man, you're really broken, aren't you? Well, you know, I am. I mean, what did I say on my last page of my notes? Packer says, Jesus is the true minister each time the supper is celebrated. We should think of the bread and wine as coming to us from his hand, and it's his guarantee to us that in love he will continue to nurture us spiritually forever. It doesn't matter whether you take the Lord's Supper from the hand of Martin or Carl or Jerry Hackler, rest his soul, or any of the other elders. It doesn't matter one bit. Because if you don't realize you're taking it from the hand of Jesus, you're missing it. It's Jesus who feeds you now. It's Jesus who will feed you in eternity future. It's Jesus who died for you, dear friend. It's Jesus. And there I was thinking, well, I'm going to get to take the Lord's Supper from Martin today. Isn't that great? Man. And so then I said, with whom do you take the Lord's Supper? You know what little group you're going to be in. So last week we walked in. I think it was last week. Old guys are forgetful, okay? So it's last week. And uh, Sally has something in her hand she needs to put in the hand of Annette Johnson. And so we see Annette and Johnny, and we head over there, and there's a couple of seats there. And I said, oh, good, we get to sit with Johnny and Annette. And went, wow, we get to take the Lord's Supper with Johnny and Annette too. Can you believe I was thinking like that? I mean, you know, we're taking the Lord's Supper with everybody here. We hear many are one body, for we all eat of the one loaf. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, whoopee. I get to take the Lord's Supper with Johnny and Annette. Here's my advice for me, for you. Look for those that Jesus would look for. The lonely, the unattractive, the ones who are not well put together, the needy, the hurting, the notoriously sinful. People like fishermen, James and John and Peter. People like shepherds. People like the woman at the well who had had five husbands and now had a live-in. I mean, what if you came and you found out the woman at the well was going to be in your group? She'd be standing right beside you, and so you'd do like this. You'd, ooh, I really want to do that? I want to take the Lord's Supper with her? Or Rahab the harlot. I mean, she was so ostracized, they thought if we put a flag out the window at her house, nobody will notice. The people, the good people, won't come around her. What about Levi and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, that nobody would have anything to do to do with? Those are the people we ought to want to take the Lord's Supper with. And we play these little games about who will I stand by and who will I take the thing from. Again, Dr. Packer, lack of love and mutual disregard within the body of Christ are always an offense against Christ himself, the body's head in life, but never more offensive than at the Lord's table. Let me read that again. Lack of love and mutual disregard within the body of Christ are always an offense against Christ himself, but never more than at the Lord's table. Wow. I got some growing to do, hadn't I? Let's all try to grow together. So, where to look during the Lord's Supper? Look at yourself in examination. 
self-examination. Look back at Jesus, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. Look up at Jesus, open arms, open arms, welcoming you again, repeat offender. Look at the future, Jesus, coming back in glory, coming back to bless his people. Look around, look around at the body of Christ and live with them in a way that's informed by the gospel. All right, I want you to say it with me. I'm asking you to speak in a worship service. I know that freaks some of you out, but okay. You just repeat after me. First of all, I'm to look at myself. Second, I look back at Jesus. Thirdly, I look up at Jesus. Fourthly, I look forward to Jesus' return. And lastly, I look around at the body of Christ. If you do that under the Spirit's guidance, you will come to the Lord's table in what this text calls a worthy manner. And God will be glorified. And you will be blessed as you feed on Christ. Let's pray. Lord our God, um, thank you for putting your body and blood in your hand. Thank you that we eat from your hand. Thank you that we remember your death. We remember your open arms. We remember that you're coming back to feed us eternally. Help us to remember all these things. And to have a little checklist or guide about how we are doing when we come to the Lord's table. As we come this morning, Lord, feed us as we sing until we want no more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.